It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, Socha. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! And the crowd goes wild. Today we are joined by special guest star, Mr. Paul Taylor. Yeah! <laughs> Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? I'm doing great. Good, Good to, to see you. Um, Paul has, has been part of a, a really like valued and cherished member of the A&R team here at Taxi now for, I don't know, five years, six years, seven years, something. It's been a while. It has been a while. I, I, I don't know the number, honestly. At least four years. I would Somewhere say at least, there. yeah. Anyway, um, very popular with the members, which is a mantle that some screeners don't get to share. But no, he's, his advice is great. <clears throat> I want to let you uh, hear some of his background so you know who we're going to be talking to today. Um, he's got almost 30 years experience composing, orchestrating, and conducting in the field of film and TV, video games, and trailers. Uh, recent and all-time favorites are orchest <clears throat> excuse me, orchestrating the video game uh, scores for the Fallout series, Lord of the Rings series, uh, Siberia series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, uh, Avatar, Fantasia, Music Evolved, the Dead Space series, and the up-and-coming Bethesda flagship game, Starfield. Um, Another Fantasia highlight was an orchestration of Jimi Hendrix's Fire with legendary producer Eddie Kramer, uh, who also worked with the Beatles, I might add. Paul's also worked with live orchestras all over the world. I've got to say, you might be only the second person I've ever had on Taxi TV that actually knows how to conduct an orchestra. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's worked with live orchestras all over the world, including the video games live concert series. By the way, a couple of those guys are my friends. I just can't think of their names right now. Uh, Tommy uh, Del Rico. Uh, I've been Wall. to, yeah, yeah, Jack Wall and Tommy and I went out to a four-hour dinner one night uh, a few years ago. Great guys. Um, anyways, conducted session orchestras in L.A., Seattle, San Francisco, Nashville, Budapest, and London. His recent projects include Heaviosity's acclaimed brass and woodwind sample libraries, Forzo and Vento, as well as orchestrating the video game scores for the latest installment of the Elder Scrolls franchise, PUBG Mobile, Bandai, Namco's Jump Force, and Capcom's Monster Hunter's World. Trailer placements include Knives Out, which is actually a very cute movie, A Christmas Carol in the Shape of Water. TV and film work include hundreds of library cues and a full-length feature. TV commercials for, uh, sorry, that was a comma, full-length feature, TV commercials for Beats and the U.S. Marines and the Academy Award-winning short film West Bank Story, which I watched over the weekend because I read about it oh. here and thought it was absolutely adorable. What a great film that was. It was a great uh, project. I mean, I always, I, you know, people say, oh, it's uh, Oko Fisher Academy Award. It's uh, the one I worked on, let's say. I didn't win the award. The director won the award because it was a short. And so people say, oh, it's a short film. But I'm like, guys, it was a musical. Okay, right. so <laughs> there was a little bit of work there for you. Know, there was a lot of work in there for you. Uh, I just thought that the whole thing was great. The, for the, I'm assuming not too many people have seen it unless you're really into short films. But it's basically Israelis and Palestinians uh, in the roles of, of the two gangs from uh, West Side Story. Like and it was. The charts. Yeah. yeah, it was sure. done so incredibly well. And I particularly loved it because I just got back from uh, 
the Middle East right around the time yeah. the latest series of rockets were flying. So it was very apropos for me. Yeah, uh, Ari did a great job with that with the movie. Um, and it, it's funny, I, I actually come across people who've seen it. Uh, my son's high school teacher actually adapted it and performed a piece of it for a drama festival at the high wow. school. So it's it's cool. I mean, it's I would love to see it get a broader audience, of course. Um, the the characters, their lines, everything about them, extremely uh, realistic. I've been over there 10 or 11 times over a period of 30 years, and I have several Israeli friends that I fly remote control airplanes here in the States with, and they totally nailed the personality of those guys. Really, awesome. really well done. Anyway, so welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really I'm thrilled to have you here. Always a, a pleasure running into you at the office which will be harder now that you've moved out of town uh, and wow. working remotely, but uh, I get it. Taxes in California are crazy. So, um, yes, they are. Uh, Paul and I talked the other day and he said, hey, do you mind if I start out the show just talking about things that I see over and over and over again, mistakes that the members are making that we, all of us screeners see from the screener perspective. And I said, dude, please do. Uh, so I'm going to turn you loose. I'm going to go lower the AC in my office because the studio lights are getting it hot. Okay. Uh, I'll be back in 15 seconds. And why don't you just start in and do your thing. And when you're done, we'll let people ask you questions about that. Um, we'll answer a couple questions that came in via email or Facebook before the show. And then we'll go to questions from the chat room. All right. Sounds great. All right, so kick it off, and I'm going to go adjust my AC. I'll be right back. Sure. No, I, I mean, I think a lot of the episodes have been like, you know, tell me about your career, tell me a story about this, or how do I meet people, how do I get jobs, all this kind of stuff. And I feel like this stuff is covered over and over and over again. Um, what we haven't seen is how do I actually get more work, and how can I best use taxi to my advantage? Um, you know, and that's like the number one thing that I talked to with Michael when we first talked about this is um, I think everyone here should be interested in getting more forwards, you know, and I think everyone realizes this. We are all 100% on your side. I mean, we want to forward every single thing that comes in. I mean, this is this is what the company exists to do, you know, and uh, everyone works really hard to make that happen. Um, the guys that write the listings, I mean, they put in so many details and so much exact work and s such great reference tracks. Oh, crap. We had a problem earlier where he dropped out some sort of network socket issue on his house. You know, uh, you know there he is. Okay. I, I, that like may I happen that for a second. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, no I'm, I'm, I'm four states away now, so hopefully that won't affect anything. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, the whole the whole point is is everyone is everyone is on your side. Everyone is on. Everyone wants everyone to be successful because that's the way they're all successful. That's it. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, so, um, it's it's kind of funny uh, when you when you look at the listings. Basically, from the screener's per perspective, it's we look at it a list of do's and a list of don'ts, and the client. Um, Typically, I'm not going to say typically, it would be like pretty much every time wants every single one of those things. And I think that that's one of the main things that a lot of people look at. They're like, 
they'll look at 14 different words on here and they'll pick one. It's like, oh, well, my, <laughs> my cue has a piano in it, so this is perfect, you know? Right. And so a lot of times it's like, I mean, I'll literally um, get listings and it'll say something like, you know, sad, emotional piano. And I'll get something that has strings in it. Oh, no, it'll say sad, solo piano. So very clear, just from those first few words. And these are all in bold and capitalized, as you, you know. Um, and there will be a piece with strings and flute in it. And then the second, this, two of the first three words were solo piano. You know, or I'll get some bouncy little piece in C major. And it'll be like, the first word is sad. That's how obvious some of these are. And what I want to tell you is that every single thing on there is a reason for the client to say no. So we need to give the client everything they need to say yes. So our job is not to pick out, oh, I love this cue, it's gorgeous. You know, that's, I mean, you would say this is a great thing. We do have to pick good music. But the funny thing about this job, if you do it right, is, and I was telling my son this the other day, you know, he's a composer and an arranger. And I said, every single day I sit down to screen, I say yes to a piece of music that I don't really like, but it fit the listing perfectly. And it's maybe not my personal cup of tea. And every day I hear something I absolutely love. And I have to say no, because it does not fit the listing. It's a great piece of music, but the listing doesn't say, give us a great piece of music. It says it needs this, 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 and this. Don't give us this, don't give us this, and don't give us this. And each one of those things, the client can come back. We need, we need to never have the client call us back and say, why did you send us a four-minute cue when we said we don't want anything three or four minutes long? Why did you send us a 50-second cue when you said it needs to be at least 90 seconds long? We just can't do that. You know, if the first descriptor is sad, why did you send us this cue? Why did you send us a cue with vocals when it said instrumental? And you would think a lot of these things are super, super, super obvious. But literally, probably half of my job as a screener is figuring out a different way to, to, to say, read the listing and listen to the references. I mean, the information is there. I mean, it really, really is there. Um, and you it's really funny. have to make it look. Yeah, go ahead. Some people will say to us, the details you give us are so skinny. I, and yet industry professionals on the industry side, the professional side of the industry, mm -hmm. will see our listings and go, nobody in Hollywood writes briefs that well. I've actually had a, a, you know one of the big companies propose that we write their briefs for them. So I yeah. find it funny in what you're saying, I've begged people just somebody just said um, Steve Barden's book it great is great at helping you interpret the listings well the first level of interpretation is just read the darn thing <laughs> so please yeah. sorry to interrupt but I couldn't let that pass without chiming in no it, it is 100% true and it seems I, I know a lot of you are gonna be like well duh that's super obvious um, but there's I mean seriously at least half the stuff I get it's very obvious that you have either not listen to the references at all or you didn't read the listing in total you know i mean and i mean the way that i approach the way that i approach a brief is i want to get every single bit of information i can from it. i mean especially if you're going up against like say 12 guys i mean say somebody there's an open call for like a jeep commercial or something there's gonna be a thousand guys it's gonna be whittled down to 12 it's gonna be whittled down to two you know because it's great money 
Okay, so that thing's going to get a lot of attention. But even on anything that we do, you know, no matter what level it is, you want to be in that final round. You want to make it into the library. Um, and it's just, it's got to be, it's got to be right on. The other thing that I, one of the things that I love about some of the music I hear um, uh, from the from the members is when somebody takes a really, really creative and innovative approach. Um, but that creative and innovative approach still has to be within whatever that box is that the client gave us. And that's where we kind of miss the mark a little bit is, um, I'm gonna do this thing and it's super cool and it's gonna make a huge difference and these guys are gonna love it. Maybe that's true, but if that's not what they asked for, we can't forward it. Um, everyone knows this, again, super obvious because this has been repeated over and over and over again, but the building the relationships is everything. Um, when a listing says this client is looking for composers that can do this and that and the other thing, you want to nail exactly 100% exactly what they offered or what they asked for. You know, once you've got to that point, then that's the point to start expanding on that. You do something super cool, or you can once you have a relationship with them, they can say, "Hey, can we try this? It's just an idea I had." You know, and you can start throwing stuff out there. That's when it's time to get innovative. Um, nobody likes to be painted into a box. We're all creators. We're all creative people to an, an intense degree or we wouldn't be in this business. Um, but when they give you a box, and sometimes that box is tiny, um, we have to stay in that box just to get their attention and to let them know we can do what you need. I can be your guy. I mean, that's what you want to be is you want to be their guy because once you're their guy, then you've locked that in. And that relationship is where the real dividends pay, get paid. And that's where you actually, that's when you start making money. I mean, not everyone joins Taxi, I don't think, to make a ton of money. But everyone wants to make money with their music, or at least most people want to make music money with it. And this is where it's done. You make the relationships, you build the relationships, and that's what it happens. I mean, those, those relationships expand. You know, like a, a, an example of, of that is um, I was orchestrating for Inanzor, the guy that writes the, who wrote Fallout 4. You know, I've been working with him for over 20 years. And so um, Inan was at an E3 con uh, conference one time, sat down with a bunch of guys at a table, and they started talking about orchestrators. And then Inan says, Well, my guy can do this. Well, my guy can do this. Well, my guy can do this. And Inan says, Well, my guy does this for me. And he does this for me, and he does this for me. And within a year, I had contracts with Chance Thomas to do Avatar. I had a contract with Jason Graves to do Dead Space. And this is how it's done. I mean, you make those things, and it, and it expands. I mean, and that's what we need to be doing. Um, once you build that relationship, is the bottom line. It's get that done first. Make it perfect. And as frustrating as it may be to stay inside that box, it's just what you have to do. Um, and if there's some part of the listing you don't understand, please ask. I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, that's what I would say. Read, listen to the references, take notes on the references. When do they do this? When do they do this? When does the transition to this? What works so perfectly about this with what it does? And if there's something you don't understand, shoot, a, shoot an email over to the head screener. Yeah, You know, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I've seen hundreds of examples of people 
that I think they have an idea of what the three act structure is for trailers. Right. You know, there's a few of us that do most of the trailers that come in, you know, through taxi. And that's just I mean, every single listing asks for it now. I mean, and it's been that way for years. Um, I've been doing trailers for probably over 20 years now. You know, I've been doing, you know, I started off doing stuff with X-Ray Dog. I do a bunch of stuff with uh, BMG. Um, and we do trailers every year. You know, like Michael was talking about the Knives Out trailer. You know, that's one of the ones we've used as one of the references. Um, that style of writing just became really popular a few years back. You know, the Fast Furious string quartet stuff. And I love doing stuff like that. We do it. And it's just, it shows up all over the place. You know, uh, Kindergarten Teacher, that was a great trailer that used like that string quartet almost the whole time. Um, the Shape of Water one that Mike was talking about, it's that style. Um, Knives Out had that style. Hopefully he'll be back again. We've had this problem and we don't know what's causing it. We spent a good half hour trying to solve it. There he is. I'm back, I'm back. So, um, so I feel like, you know, as someone who has worked so much in trailers, I'm kind of intimately familiar with, you hear from the client what they want. They want this style, you put it back out to them. And especially with Mitch, gosh, the guy, Mitch Lachewski, he runs, he started X-Ray Dog, um, works for BMG and everyone else. He's super picky. I mean, I know him. I know him, and I completely concur. <laughs> so, the thing is, Mitch is picky because he knows exactly what he can sell. Mm -hmm. And if he tells you make it a D minor instead of an F, just make it a D minor. Do what he says. And I've told guys that I've, as a matter of fact, as a taxi member, uh, had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, a couple years ago at the road rally with me, and he played me a trailer. And I was like, this thing is great. It's ready to go. I really, I'm not gonna give you a phone number, but I'm gonna say, look up Mitch Lachewski and said, Paul Taylor said he wanted you to listen to the trailer. And he signed the trailer and he signed a bunch of trailers with him since. So, I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, I think, I think it was great. I mean, the guy paid whatever it is. I have no idea how much it costs to do a one-on-one -on -one at the road rally, They're but free. he got a, okay. <laughs> So that doesn't was great. get any cheaper than that. So 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 that's about as good as you can get. But it was, I mean, it, it was authentic networking that led him to a relationship with the client that has also clients with other companies. And now this guy, um, I'm not gonna, I shouldn't say his name, but whatever. He's, I'm sure Michael knows who he is, who, who, who he is or if not, I'll tell him later. But he's gotten a bunch of stuff um, with Mitch and BMG since then, and gotten placements from it. Um, I have no idea who you're talking about. I'll tell Does you. Is his, um, his first, first name start with an R? Nope. His last name starts with an R, though. All right. Yeah, you have to let me know. <laughs> this is, I'll tell I you, I, I would say 90% of the taxi members, they get deals and or placements. Never let us know. I don't know why oh, that God. is. But, but, yeah, I had no idea that, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I don't want to break your stride here, but... I sure. want to go back to something because a couple people brought this up. Sure. Um, a couple people said, yeah, but the text doesn't match the references. And what we constantly tell people is that usually we get one or two references from the client. Sometimes we're lucky enough to get all three from the client. 
there are clients out there, not necessarily for trailers, but libraries in general, where they don't really know the genres all that well. They'll say, give me indie pop, and what they're really giving references to would be pop rock. Okay. Um, and But that's only about 5 or 10% of the problem. The it's hard to get people to understand that they need to listen to all three references and think to themselves, would my piece or my song work well on a playlist with these others? Is the vibe similar? Is the mood similar? Is the texture similar? Is the tempo similar? Is the attitude similar? It's not, do you have something that's got, you know, this melody, this type of melody? It's not that exacting. It's about the whole. So you take those three things and triangulate what makes them work together a as a unit and then go, sure. would my thing make a good fourth one on that list? Is that an accurate representation from the screener's perspective? It absolutely is. Um, and I, I would say sometimes it, it is possible that the, that the client will give us something that seems odd in the list, you know, and it may need some explanation. And if I was the member and I was like, well, I think I have this down. I think I understand what he wants, but this one reference sounds kind of weird. Hit up the head screener with an email, you know? Yeah. And if the head screener is not familiar, you know, if she's like, well, I don't really know Gregorian chants all that well, you know, then they'll talk to one of the few screeners that does know, it, you know? I mean, it'll, it's very, I mean, we're all very specialized. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, I'm, I am definitely a film and TV guy. I mean, that's where I've spent my career. Um, which is kind of funny because my first placement ever was a rap, <laughs> which seems completely, yeah. I mean, there's been a couple of times where they've asked me, it's like, hey, can you do this thing? And it'll be, and it'll say like, oh, you know, it has to have modern hip hop beats. And I'm like, no. I actually don't want to screen this because there's a thousand taxi members that know more about this than I do. I mean, I will absolutely turn down something that doesn't fit me. You know, this is not about, I'm not an expert in everything. I'm just not. I'm, I'm, I'm a conductor. I understand the orchestra and I understand how to set the mood in a, in a, in a, piece, of mu in a piece of film. And that attitude you've got about turning down stuff you're not expert in. We actually police the screeners. First of all, we go through a process of making a short list of who would be good in each of those genres or that particular genre. Uh, and we kind of order them as this person would be the best, this person would be the second best. Usually we get the first best person on it. And when I say second best, don't anybody get your panties in a bunch over that because our, our second best is usually an A and our best is an A plus. So you're, you're fine either way. Uh, and, and just know that the screeners are incredibly honest with us. If somebody comes in in a bad mood or had a fight with his or her spouse or is getting a tummy ache or whatever, they'll say, can I bag it for today and pick up you know, the slack tomorrow? Sure. So you kind of get every break from the, this team of people. They're, they are you guys. They're all musicians who want to see you succeed. Yeah, I mean, we've all been in the same boat. I mean, we completely can see it from your side as well. We've all been trying to get our music signed, trying to get the placements, trying to, you know, make all that happen, trying to meet the right people, you know? So anything that we can do to facilitate that is what we're here to do. And it's, we're honest about it, you know? And I'm glad, I mean, for me, it's great that so many listings come in where they want, you know, 
something like sad solo piano, or um, or they want I want classical music, and it needs to be classical, literally from the late 18th century. You know, don't send me you know Chopin and Debussy. You know that right. kind of listing. I mean, that's the kind of thing you know that I'd be in the top three to do probably, just because that's that's what my background is. I mean, that's you know, I mean, when we did Fantasia, my job at Fantasia, we recorded it at Abbey Road with three world-class orchestras, including the LSO and St. Martin's in the Fields. And basically, we were creating those classic uh, pieces of music from the movie. You know, we did the Bach Toccata and Fugue, we did Dvorak, we did Not on Bald Mountain, we did all these things, recreating them for this game. The cool thing about the game, this is a total side tangent, is you could we, we striped everything. So the brass, the woodwind, the strings, percussion, all separately. So you could actually conduct out different sections and play around with the different arrangements and actually do your own arrangements of those tunes, which was cool. And that was also the thing that led me to Eddie Kramer, which was pretty great, you know, which is, again, it's a relationship. I had never met Gwen before, the representative from, from Disney that was with us at Abbey Road. And like a couple of weeks after the session, she calls me up and she says, you know, hey, I, I, I think you're the right guy for this job. I wanted to ask you about it. You know, um, uh, Eddie Kramer is doing this thing with Jimi Hendrix and the fam the Hendrix estate will only work with him and nobody else. They're the only one they trust. Uh, but he's like way out there in Woodland Hills. You know, I, it's just kind of a schlep. I'm like, well, I live in Woodland Hills, so I think this is going to be okay. So he would, <laughs> I mean, he let, it turns out he lived a couple blocks from me. So he would come wow. over and work on the arrangement and then we mixed it down at Capitol and it was, it was, an incredible thing. He's a great guy, uh, and super funny. And oh my god, I mean, you know, when you, yeah, hanging out with people like that is pretty amazing. I mean, when he tells the story, like, yes, well, you know, Paul was out there on the floor and John's in the booth with me, saying blah blah blah, and you're like, just like, oh my god, this guy literally is talking about sitting shoulder to shoulder with John Lennon. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so anyway, again, that's the relationship. I mean, yeah. I, I hit it off with Gwen. She liked the work that I did on her game, and it just led to more stuff. I mean, and that's why I, I really, really pound that in. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure I'm not the only screener that, that talks about making relationships, you know, developing that relationship with your client. Give them what they want. Show them that you are the guy, you know, yeah. and that's what's going to lead to magic in your career and in your life, you know. I mean, that's... I would say the soup, the highest level of magic comes from having three or four of those people, those relationships in your life. Sure. I, see, I see too many people that develop one relationship and they think, that's it. I'm in, it's locked, I'm golden for the rest of my life. Nothing lasts forever. So you wanna build other relationships simultaneously because that first one will evaporate. The person will lose their job. They could, God forbid, pass away. They could go into selling real estate in Beverly Hills. There are myriad reasons why these things fall apart. Very few of them last forever. Well, Paul will be back in a second, I'm sure. <laughs> Come back, Paul. No, here he comes, there he is. We're All back, right. we're and, back, Ryan. sorry about yeah. that. In um, any case, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm a big fan of have, building multiple relationships because that one will eventually dry up. Either their client base changes and your music is no longer apropos for what they need, they lose a gig, a million reasons. Yeah, you. It's. They, I mean, honestly, you could screw up. I mean, 
as an artist, you could do something that they consider so wrong that they're like, we're not going to call this guy again. I mean, that's why I know it's a tough business, man, because you've got to hit it out of the park. Every time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just not allowed very many mistakes, you know? I mean, so keep that, keep the relationships tight, expand on those for sure. I wanted to return back to what that one question was. I mean, I don't know if we really cover that to the satisfaction about the, the text and the references matching up. Now, yeah. I can only approach that because I literally don't do a large percentage of the types of listings that Taxi handles. You know, I mean, the indie pop, pop rock thing, it's just not, it's, it's not my, it's not my bag. Um, right. But what I do see is the guys working, uh, I mean, the guys that write these listings are great, you know, and they're really accurate and they work really hard. Um, in all the years I've been a taxi, I think there may have been one or two times where I said, hey, the way this is worded, I think some of the screeners might find it confusing. I mean, some of the members might find it confusing. And this is why I think that you know, just in case it comes up. And you know, I don't know if it really did, but it's something that I personally thought, thought this didn't match up. But if, I'm only, if that's only happened a couple of times in years and years, I mean, you know, what's that, once every 20, 30 months? Um, I, think it's, I, I, I think it's pretty accurate. And it's just something you're not understanding about the format, the, you know, the tempo or anything. I mean, it's, or any, any, any bit of that. Um, Reach out. I mean, yeah. we are head, we, we are here for you. I mean, we answer head, emails. Head. We we, you know, and if we don't know the answer, we find the person that does. Head you screener know, at taxi dot com. Head screener at taxi dot com. Um, oh gosh, there's something you said I lost. No, 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 no. Somebody say, is this the kind of person judges us? Okay, you win. Obviously, he knows what works. Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> you should go back to the beginning of the show, Christoph, and, and hear his credentials, and you will be um, very grateful that we have people at this level screening your material here. It's funny, sometimes, oftentimes, people who don't really know Taxi's work ethic, and ethic is a company, ethos is a company, of... Uh, will say, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of interns screening the music over there. And it, they have no idea. 29 years of operating this company, I can honestly say not once has any intern, we don't even have interns, but not once has anybody who's not qualified ever touched a song at Taxi on the screening side. Sure, you're, yeah. You're a great example of that. Um, yeah, my, okay. I, I, think my, I think my first TV gig uh, my first live placement was uh, about 29 years ago. It was the Friday night of the riots. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the LA riots was this, so that was 90, was it in April of 92? April of 91, I can't even remember. But it was, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I remember my then fiance, possibly wife, uh, we went to Malibu. <laughs> over to one of those places it's got like a patio that hangs out over the water we were having like bloody mary's and breakfast or something and she goes what's what are all those call oh that's smoke we literally could see the city of los angeles burning like 20 miles away oh while we we're sitting there having cocktails for breakfast on a sunday morning whatever day wow. it was in any case uh, you brought up something really interesting which was that the listings have to be 
understandable by the screeners and the members. And just so you know, I don't even know, know if you know this about me, I'm the last person whose eyes are on those listings. So it goes from Tom who does the intake and gets the information from the client yeah. to, um, and he does like, you know, posts their notes and their emails and stuff in a place in our database. Bria drafts up the listing. Tom okay. will look at it again. Eric will look at it. Eric's another member of the in-house A&R staff. Um, and then after all that, Bria sends it to me and I look at it. And what I'm looking for is not really typos. I'm looking for if I were a member that was just starting out, would I understand this? If I were a member who's pretty sophisticated, would I look at this and not turn my nose up at it? So it's not like talking down to me or talking up to me. And the most important thing, or equally important is, will the screeners interpret this correctly? Because if you have a screener that interprets it one way versus members that interpret it another way, you got a problem. So sure. yeah, we put a lot of care into that before um, before you ever see it and before the members ever see them. Yeah, like so. Here's an example. There's there's a screen, and you can see up. Oh, there you go. You can see, I I print it out, I listen to the references, I scribble all over it, you know, and I like mark some things. You know, it's like I mean the things that I always mark. What's the time? Like this one says nothing that runs three or four minutes, please. Well, that's it. We can't have the client come back and say, why did you send me a cue that's two minutes and 56 seconds long? Really? You know what I mean? So you've got to, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, traditional. It's got to be a traditional cue. It can't be, can't be some modern cinematic thing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, every keyword is here that you know, you know, you know, make your MIDI sound absolutely incredible. Or are they going to say no? I mean, it's the same kind of stuff we see a lot. And if there is questions about it, or if there's like a bigger question, especially about your own personal approach, just do the custom. You know, do the custom and get the nitty gritty so you can get more than a couple of lines. You know, we're going through a lot of these. You know, we're, we're working at a pretty good pace to make sure that you have what we need. Well, I mean, what you need. Um, but the, you know, the truth is, um, not just the screeners, but the client as well, knows within a few seconds almost every time not every time but almost every time whether it works or not you know is this something that's going to work or not you know because yeah. there's some major mistake that's made and the truth is at taxi we're going to listen to the whole thing i mean it's our job to listen to it and find each detail and give you something really actionable to work with this is what we like this is what you need to fix you know you want to get to the next level do this. I mean, that's a that's a critique, right? You know, the guy up the pipe from us, you've got five, 10, 15 seconds maybe before they click next or they decide to keep listening, you know? So when you write some badass intro, yeah, it's probably, it's, 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 it's probably gonna be great for the album. <laughs> but, but you've gotta keep in mind I mean, I wouldn't even think, don't even think of me. Don't think of the screener. Think of the guy that's going to place it, you know? Okay, the guy wants a thing for this movie, and this movie is supposed to do this. Does my cue accomplish that? Does I, do I show him that in the first eight to 10 seconds? And if it's longer than that, look at it from his point of view. What if we have a ton of incredible submissions? 
you know, and he's got 40 to listen through. He's not going to listen to two minutes of everybody's thing. He's going to listen to 10 seconds. And you need to be the guy that catches him in that 10 seconds. That's the reality of what the guy at the next level is doing. The guy that's actually going to pay you. Somebody uh, in the chat about two minutes ago said, captivating melodies, question mark, question mark, captivating melodies, question mark. We had people starting to complain um, when Bria was writing listings, she was writing, um, not captivating, um, inviting melodies. And I understood what that meant, and I understand what captivating means. An inviting sure. melody is something that invites you to keep listening. It's like sure. uh, almost a signature, a little hook in and of itself, a melodic hook. Captivating sure. is it gets your attention. The first line of a book better be damn captivating or you're not gonna finish reading the first paragraph, the first page, or the first chapter, or the rest right. of the book. So captivates. It, it, brings you in and keeps you there, uh, Super Blonde. That's what captivating means. Sure. Yeah, it totally makes sense. You've got to get their attention, and then you've got to be able to keep it. You've got to make it work. Um, so funny, because um, for cues and some of the stuff that we do, like, I mean, like when a drone, a drone listing comes in and we get, like, hundreds of hundreds of submissions, and they'll literally say, don't write a melody. Like, or it's gotta be almost unobtrusive that there isn't even a lot of content happening. So everything's, yeah. everything is different about that. Um, He'll be back. <laughs> we have no idea why this is happening. There he is. <laughs> it gives you a chance to take a swig there of the iced tea. Right? All right, uh, so yes, my, continue. My, 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 dad, uh, my dad was a music, a college music professor for 40 years. And he always used to say, a good melody never heard a piece of music, which is actually mostly true, but not all true. Because um, there's a lot of things that we see, you know, a lot of things we hear that's like, we don't want that. And I think that's, I mean, that's like a huge trailer mistake. If you're writing a trailer, you don't want some huge, grand Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings melody line. You want the melody line to be really super long and drawn out because you are not the main event. Right. You are the vibe. You know, nobody cares about a great melody line when Scarlett Johansson is on the screen in tight leather pants kicking ass. That's <laughs> what people want to see in the trailer. You know, I mean, I mean, you really got to just always keep in mind that you're the supporting role. And I also see a lot of members trying to write really, really good music. It's like, this is great music to listen to. If you're writing for TV and film, like a lot of the stuff that I do, um, the music almost needs to be felt more than heard. You know, I mean, that's really the vibe that we need is, is uh, so when my dad was teaching, he would have me, he taught music appreciation, had these huge classes, you know, 100 kids in each one. And I would come in and do a series on film. And I would show them the opening of Jurassic Park without the music. And it's an incredible piece of film. I mean, Spielberg is a genius. I mean, he's just really good at his job, right? And so I'd show him that piece of film, a couple of minutes long, you know, with the original Velociraptor attack and all that. Then I would show it to them again with the music on. And at the end of the scene, I'd say, okay, check your pulse. Because <laughs> it literally, I mean, it was literally stimulating your nervous system and bringing up that response. You know, um, 
<laughs> when my when my when my oldest son was a teenager, he came back from a sleepover one night at a friend's house, and they'd been up late uh, playing video games, and his friend was sitting there with the controller, like, and, and this is the way that John described it. He he says, "Dude, your dad is too good of a job on that game." They were playing Dead Space in the middle of the night, you know, which is this great horror horror game. If you've never played it, it's a long time ago. It's over ten years old now, but that's the gig. To me, that's what kind of informed my, you know, how I approach things. Is you want the kid to be sitting there like this with the controller, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the job. Make them feel the way you want them to feel. The other, the other thing that I would show in the film scoring class or in the music appreciation class is the scene from Star Wars where Darth Vader is deciding whether he's going to save his son or go with the Emperor. So the Emperor, everybody knows this scene in Star Wars. I hope, and if not, where have you been? The Emperor is killing Luke, and Darth Vader is sitting there, expressionless because he's in a mask. And he looks at the Emperor, and he looks at Luke, and he looks at the Emperor, and he looks at Luke. Who is telling the story? John Williams is telling the story. There's literally nothing else. It's a mask that doesn't move. But everyone knew exactly what was going on in Darth Vader's head, right? Yeah. There was no question. <clears throat> That's the gig. You know, was that some big thematic moment? No, it was creating tension in the right ways to communicate what that filmmaker needed to make happen. So the whole point of this whole entire thing was the big sweeping melodies, the cool things, the counterpoint, the nice lines. A lot of times I hear stuff and I'm like, hey, it's great for an album track. It's just not going to work for TV. It's a different animal. That's uh -huh. why Robin Frederick wrote two books, one on writing songs for records and the other one's writing songs for film and TV. They're both songs. They both should have great melodies. They both have to have an emotional impact on you, but in a different way at a different time for a different purpose. Yeah. Um, let's see, I want to throw another question. Sure. Uh, oh. Um, two questions that are related specifically to trailers. Number sure. one, somebody asked, what are the three acts? So if you'd be so kind, explain what they are. And then somebody else act, asked, how do you transition between the three acts? Which is a good question, I thought. Great. They're both, yeah, they're excellent. Those are excellent questions. Um, there's tons of stuff on YouTube where you can really get into the nitty gritty of what a three act could be. There's a guy, what's the guy's name? Uh, Jonah Murray or... Oh my gosh, I can't remember. There's an old uh, taxi. No, he was a taxi member, yeah. Uh, he was. I, I've had him speak at the rally twice, and now I can't remember his name. I'm terrible with names, but... Isn't uh, it something Murray, right? Yeah. Is that, does that familiar? Anyway... He, he, so, he lives by... I think he lives in Salt Lake, by the way. Okay, cool. So anyway, so the point is there's a lot of information out there. If you're not, com if you're not sure what 3Acts is, spend some time um, looking at some of the tutorials. Yeah. You know, don't be don't be too proud to look at something that's called tutorial because the information in these things is great. Um, another thing it's it's um, that I would recommend for trailers is listen to what the client is actually buying. I mean, if you watch the trailer for Black Widow, it's all put together. It's got a thousand sound effects and all this other stuff in it. Okay, where it's just you see how it's that's more of how is the trailer implemented. But if you go to X-Ray Dog, go to Audio, Audio Machine, go to Two Steps From Hell, 
look at look at their YouTube channels, and they'll be like, you know, adventure, family adventure trailers, and you know, epic horror trailers, or whatever it is. And that's a really great thing because then you can hear the music that they're actually buying before it gets implemented in the trailer, which of course is what our client is looking for. So regarding the three acts, um, um, from everything I've seen and done, which is a lot, I mean, <laughs> the first act is negotiable and it depends on the movie. So the first act, first of all, each act has to be completely distinct. It has to have a beginning and an end. It can't just seamlessly go into the next thing and there'll be a slight little change. It needs to flat out stop. And think about the way a trailer is put together. The trailer goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and boom. And Dwayne Johnson delivers a one-liner. And then it ramps up again and it goes and goes and goes and goes again. And then boom, Dwayne Johnson delivers another one-liner. And then it ramps up for the last set of action, which, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, you gotta look at it as a commercial. So the first act can be kind of soft and doesn't have to have a huge ending, depending on what kind of film it is. That's you a know? very key point, though, depending on a, a trailer for a coming-of-age love story with two 17-year-olds yeah. is going to be drastically different than something in the yeah. Marvel series or, sure. you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and even a Marvel thing, a Marvel thing could be, you know, the first act could be just an exposition of the characters. It could be heavily action-packed, or it could be like, um, I think it was the Captain Marvel trailer, where the first act is just kind of like backstory. And mm -hmm. like, where did this character come from? Because it was kind of a new thing in the Marvel Universe. And they wanted to give her some storyline to, 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 to get her started. It's kind of a mellow thing, and then just maybe a little shh to kind of end it. But then when the action comes up, You've got to set tension, you've got to set action, you've got to put the people on edge, and it's got to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And whether it's a one-liner or a big scene or a big hit or whatever, it's just got to crash. And it's got to be massive. It's got to be massive and drop out. Or at least drop way down so there's a real definitive start to the third act. And the third act is always, almost always going to be exactly like the second act except even more intense, because it is a grand finale. Anything else on top of that is pretty much optional. You've got to have those three things. They've got to be well segmented. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, the members know this, but as a screener, we see the waveform. So, on the, so our little box comes up where we're going to write our critique. And the waveform, like a SoundCloud thing, is actually there. I can tell. 90% of the time, if it's a yes, if it's a no, based on the waveform, when it's a trailer. Yep. You know, I mean, if I see something that goes like this, gets bigger, and then kind of trails off, I'm gonna be like, maybe it was the first act. If I see something that just goes and goes and goes the whole time, it's a no. There's, I mean, it just, there is no delineation between the acts. You have to have a strict delineation for the acts. They have to be connected, they have to make sense, and if you're writing trailers, you simply must buy some library full of risers and effects and these huge things. That's Are you familiar with a uh, taxi member, um, Randon Purcell, uh, started a company with a couple other trailer guys called Fallout Music Group, and they, cre they have the best, oh crap. He'll be back in 30 seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Please stay seated. 
Our guest will be right back. And here he comes now. Fallout Fall Fall Music Group, and they have a... They have several libraries of all that stuff that sound effects, um, rises, uh, just everything you can imagine, that you a toolkit that you would need for trailers that people normally build and build their own little stash. These guys sure. have, have built phenomenal stuff. I'll, I'll connect you with them. You guys need to know each for other. Sure. Well, well, for sure. No, and I've I've seen Ryan stuff come through the pipeline, you know, many times over the year. And he is obviously a really talented writer, um, and he really understands that genre mm -hmm. and how to get people in and out of those things. Those risers, I mean, what are they for? We stop for a second. We are immediately going to ramp up the tension again. Okay, yep. we let the we let the I mean, that's it. I mean, you let the audience take a break. You, you give a one-liner, you know, to release the tension for a minute, but then you set it right back into action, you know? That's why, I mean, you've never seen a trailer that's a long, one-long chase scene. It doesn't exist. It's a different It's a different form of music. Trailers are really, really super specific because that's the way they're all built now. They're telling a story. It's a really compact storytelling thing. So we've got these, like, you know, 45, 50-second chunks maybe where a ton of stuff happens, and it has to come to this huge climactic peak to keep the audience going. And then as soon as that stops, they deliver the one-liner, it's gotta it's gotta set your I mean, literally, like I said, with the Jurassic Park thing, your blood pressure's gotta go back up again, right there. I mean, that's the gig. I mean, we're literally manipulating <laughs> the nervous system of the of the people watching and listening. That's so much of what entertainment is. Uh a big part Absolutely. of the art of entertaining people is having them react viscerally, whether you want For to bring sure. them down, bring them up, scare the crap out of them, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, somebody asked earlier, I think it was Super Blonde again, said, um, why don't the listings use fundamental and well-defined music theory terminology when we write the listings? So let me tell you that. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of our members and a lot of musicians, like for example, Grammy Award winner Billy Joel and multi-multi-academy award winning Alan Macon do not read music. You know, I remember, it's so funny. Uh, I remember being in a rehearsal one time, my wife and I were in a band and uh, um, the guitar player just did something a little different and I just look over and I go, ah, diminished. Cool. And, and, and the singer says to me, ha ha, diminished, screw you. I had no idea what the hell we were talking about. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, personally, I love that. And if somebody has indicated through their music or whatever, I will definitely respond in that kind of language, although it never exists. Right. Especially in the classical music ones. If the classical music ones that come in, uh, you know, if I'm doing one of those listings, I will assume that you have some kind of a background and if not, I'm going to say something you should look up, you know, you know, and if you don't know the difference between classical and romantic music, I'll say this is what you need to know, you know, I mean, but it's. Um, the industry doesn't speak just, in music theory. It just doesn't. Um, I, I, I love I'm, it. I'm a dork. I'm a complete geek when it comes to this stuff. But it's just there are too many people I know that if, they just can't read music at all. And it's not even just as simple as reading music or not. It's 
it's a different kind of language. When, you know, a, a film director, when he is talking to, oh, uh, yeah, when a director is talking to the person scoring a scene, they're not going to say, give me, you know, a sus nine here. <laughs> even, no, if they, even if they knew what a sus nine was, they, they wouldn't use that language because they're going to speak in their language, which is break my heart like nobody's ever broken it before create a sense of, of pending doom that will literally have people running to the restroom. Those are, that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for minors or majors or sevenths or chord inversions. They just want to talk about, this is the feeling I need. It's your job to figure out how to give it to me. And if they do use that language, take it with the grain of salt. <laughs> I mean, they may think they know what a sus nine is, um, and then you play it for them and be like, "No, that's wrong." Hey, I mean, that's, I've seen that. That's not the sus nine yeah, I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, honestly, you unless you know them really well, you honestly cannot trust them to to accurately depict it that way. Anyway, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. A long time ago, uh, the director of the Scooby Doo movies. Oh, actually, it's kind of funny because his wife is the one that said, screw you about the diminished thing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, his name was Raj Grosnell, and he directed the Scooby-Doo movies and like the Beverly Hills Chihuahua movies and stuff like that. So he calls me up and says, so we're doing a Scooby-Doo movie. This is tons of years ago. I mean, I don't even know how many years ago. And he says, there's this scene at the beginning of the movie where the gang breaks up. And we need a sad version of the Scooby-Doo theme, and it literally does not exist anywhere. So it says, I want you to write a sad version of the Scooby-Doo theme that speaks to the pettiness of their actions. So I'm thinking, petty Scooby-Doo. What the hell is this? So, but that's the notes that he gave me. And you've got to come up with something at least to throw back at them. And this was literally, I had one day to do it before the stream. So he was going to get what he was going to get. Um, but it was... <laughs> the pettiness of their actions. I thought it turned out really well, <laughs> you know. What did you say, give them, some sort of like, um, something in the dramedy category? What, no, what was, no, 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 no. It was, uh, he said, he said, I want it to be sparse and simple, like piano and like maybe an oboe. That's what uh, he said. So he, so I had that. So it was on the one hand, it was easy as a pianist to kind of, to write a track. I didn't have to do a thousand layers of things to make it happen. Um, so I took three notes. Da da dum. You know, that's the thing. Da 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 dum. Da da bum. So I did it slow and in sad, uh, sad, and I used a bunch of, you know, I used, you know, I, I changed the harmonic content, you know? I mean, sometimes it's so easy. Use A minor instead of C major. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's so simple to just make it, and I made it slow and sad. I gave him an alternate version that had an English horn sample in it, um, and it was done. You know, and it was just, it was pretty funny, you know, because here's Shaggy and this, you know, the Scooby that didn't exist yet, you know, because it hadn't been generated, the CGI thing. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what they used, you know, for the screening, and it, it works great. You know, David Newman did not use that for the final score. Um, you know, Raj, I guess he went, he went a different direction on that one scene, but, uh, and it was just, it was a nice challenge for me because it's like a guy comes in with something that sounds like it makes zero sense and you've got to come up with something. 
I mean, I don't know what petty music is. So, well, but I mean, that, <laughs> I that's, was that. that's the entire nature. And believe me, it's frustrating for all of us, including the screeners and the staff at Taxi. We're at this weird intersection of art and commerce. And while none of, I mean, we're all fans of music, obviously. Every single mm -hmm. person involved with this company is a, you know, is a huge fan of music. We've all grown up with it, um, probably more so than the average person. And while we love and respect creativity and something new and somebody that breaks the, the, bo the bonds of whatever the standard thing is and, and becomes the next Beatles or the next Jimi Hendrix, one of those once a generation um, acts, we all love that. But in the context of what we're doing at Taxi, the people in the industry are not looking for the next Jimi Hendrix or the next Beatles. They're looking for something that augments their vision. Yeah, exactly. They, it has to fit their project. I mean, yeah. that's what, that's what you, yeah, I mean, it's, it has to fit what they're doing. You have, I mean, that's the whole thing. If you're trying to make them happy, you know, do you think it's the best piece of music in the world? Trust me, that rap I wrote was not the best piece of music in the world. I mean, I would. I, I mean, I could easily put it in the bottom ten in the world, probably. But it's what they wanted. I mean, it was just. I mean, it was the weirdest. Again, so this is a weird, a weird thing where you've got to figure out what a director wants. Um, so this thing was Dick Van Dyke. This is how old this is. Friday Night of the Riots. So Dick Van Dyke had been brought back to do a new TV series because that's what Fred Silverman was doing. Like with Matlock, he brings back Andy Griffith and gives him a new TV show because he figured. Beloved TV star, we're going to do it. So with Dick Van Dyke, they did the Diagnosis Murder, of course, which I worked on for eight seasons. Wow. But, but when it was, uh, when it was, uh, uh, oh my God, what's the matter with me? A pilot. There we go. That's what they call it. So they did a two-hour movie, and, you know, he's this funny doctor. <laughs> Always at the best part of the story, too. He roller right. skates and tap dances and stuff. <laughs> so Dick Van Dyke did this thing. So they tempted the scene where he's showing an MRI of a liver because he's a teaching doctor in a hospital. And he says, and he says, and the whole point is he says, we got trouble. We got trouble right here in Liver City. And they wanted to use River City from the Music Man. We got trouble with the capital T. And that's, well, you know, from the Music Man, that musical. And the, the state wouldn't give them the right. So he said, we need a rap for a 65-year-old white guy I mean, Dick Van Dyke, full of medical terms. <laughs> so you could probably still find that on YouTube somewhere. It's it's pretty. It paid really well. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Van Dyke rapping. I actually yeah. helped Dick Van Dyke pick out a computer once. I was at Woodland Hills. Uh, what's the big uh, appliance yeah. and computer place on Ventura Bull or on Canoga? Um, Oh, like Best Fry. Buy or something? Uh, oh, Fry's. Fry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the late 90s, I was in Fry's, and yeah. there was this gentleman next to me that I didn't really notice, and he says, excuse me, do you know much about computers? I went, holy crap, you're Dick Van Dyke. He goes, well, yes, I am. Thank you. Um, and spent like a half an hour <laughs> helping him decide which computer to buy. He was such a sweetheart of a guy. He is the nicest man in the world. I mean, it was, I mean, for one thing, at the session where we recorded the track, he comes in and says, hi, I'm Dick Van Dyke. And it's like, no kidding, <laughs> you know. It, it, it was and it was. He was so nice, but it was also, you know, this was a part where he was just coming back from. He'd had a little bit of a downturn in his career, and so he says, um, 
so this is okay well, i'm gonna say this is 91 probably and and so he says oh yeah you know i hurt my back so i've been like hanging out at this place in malibu with like you know mel Atkin, mel gibson and julie andrews and i'm like come on man <laughs> dick van dyke you just dropped mel gibson's name are you kidding me you i mean you're dick from mary poppins come on i mean bert from mary poppins you know but he's just that kind of a humble guy, just yep. super nice. And it's it's always amazing to find people in the industry that are so, so, so amazing. That's because so, he li lives somewhere around here, you know, as opposed to the Beverly yeah, Hills. And, you know. Well, yeah, you know, he, well, he's a, yeah, he's in, I want to say he's in Thousand Oaks. He still has a barbershop quartet group that he sings out there, works with out there. Um, he, he's just, he's just one of those honest, real, I mean, he's like a real person. Yeah, and he's he's not some radically different guy from the guy you see on screen that you just automatically fall in love with. He's a national treasure. Um, really? Did you have any other stuff that you want to mention that members, from the screener's perspective, mistakes you see members commonly making, or did, um, or did we cover all that? I think we covered all that. I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a bottom line, and the bottom line is every single detail. I mean, every every word in there, you know, whether it's you know traditional, ethnic, world, slow, sad, fast, up tempo, whatever. Every single one of those is a reason for the client to say no. Okay, so you can't just be like, oh, well, I kind of have this vibe with this one tune, you know, and if I pull out the vocal, it'll fit. I mean, it's just. And it's funny because the screeners are looking for every reason they can find to say yes. Yeah, uh, well, we've been but, we've been given a list. I mean, our hands are our hands are tied by the client. I mean, we want, especially when it's an amazing piece of music. We're like, oh, this is so great. And I'll write this in the in critique. I'll be like, I love your music, man. This is what it's good for, and it's not this listening. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, Kenny Reed asks an appropriate question for this line. Sure. Uh, are the screeners ever given information about the project the music is being listed for from the music supervisor or music library? Um, so do you guys have, the screeners have more or different information than the members would have? Well, here's a funny thing. I'm wondering who this question is for because I see the screen, I'm not a taxi member. I mean, I couldn't be, um, but I only see what I get, and I don't know if that's exactly the same as what the members get or not. I mean, it is. So yeah, you, I mean, you see word for word exactly what they get. The only time I, I I can answer the question, the only time that a screener knows more about the project than the members would know is if the screener is friends with the person running the listing. Let's say sure. there's a big music supervisor whose best friend happens to be a taxi screener and says, hey, by the way, you work a taxi, right? Yes, I do. Can you see if you can find me some XYZ? So that screener sure. would know the particular show. He might have some insight as to his music supervisor friend's personal sure. aesthetic, the kind of stuff that he or she likes. Um, but but that would be the only circumstance I can think of. Otherwise, yes, the screeners see exactly what the members see. They know what you guys know. And, and it really makes sense to do it that way, that we're um, flying blind. If we, if we, like if we knew, okay, this is a video game and this is what the video game is and it's this company and this franchise, we have this huge preconceived notion of what the client wants of, because of what he's bought in the past. 
but yeah. that may not be current information. And that's, I mean, that just sets us off in the wrong direction. And it doesn't serve the client, and it certainly doesn't serve you. If we give the client a bunch of stuff that we think is right, but we somehow misunderstood him or had some preconceived notion, it just it doesn't serve anybody. Very, very occasionally, I think there may have been a couple of times where one of the staff, like Eric or Tom, will send me something like, "This client is super picky about this or something," you know, maybe something like right. that. But I've never seen like, "Oh, this is for this trailer," or "This is for this." I mean, the truth is, a lot of it is libraries. This is where, I mean, this is where we're going. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't even know. A couple of times I've been like, "Hey," I mean, I've actually asked the screeners. I, I mean, not the screeners, but like, like Eric, I'll be like, "This sounds really familiar. Is this such and such library?" And I'm always wrong. <laughs> it's like, nope, nope, <laughs> that's not it. And he doesn't, and he doesn't even tell me what library it is. So that's I don't even funny. have that. Whether it's you know APM or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. We've not inst we've not instructed him to keep that secret from you. He just he's Eric is not a very verbose guy, so he's probably <laughs> he's one of those guys that you know if a cop pulls him over yeah. for speeding, do you know you're doing seventy two miles an hour? Yep, <laughs> that's the end of it right there. <laughs> um, so a couple people have asked this question. Something that I've I've elaborated on so many times, I can't believe it that people are still asking. But you know what? I'd like to hear your take, and I'm sure they would as well. Can you please? tell them what a developmental arc is in the context of an instrumental piece for a library. Okay, pretty much any, so this is something in the, the, the verbiage that I use a lot of times is you set the tone and then you, you have to keep it going and you have to keep it growing. A lot of times what I'll see is something that's just kind of flat. And, um, you know, a lot of times the listening, very, very, it's great advice. It says layer things in and out. Um, a lot of the mistakes that I see are we only layer in, but it also stays very, very, very flat line. The mood does not change. Just because you added a different drum sound and maybe even lost the other one, it didn't whatever. If it didn't change the intensity of the tune, it didn't do the job. So think about this from a viewer perspective. I mean, always try to think as a producer and or a viewer. Okay, you're experiencing this in, life, in real time. Um, say you've got a really tense scene, or let's say, oh, okay, this no, this like say an NCIS team. So you've got a laboratory, and here's guys walking around in lab coats, looking at things, and you're seeing these funny images of a virus under a microscope. This is not exciting picture. And the music not. is going. So you've got to create this. Create this. There's danger here. You know, you've got to create. There's danger. There's tension. Whatever. And if you set one tone at the beginning and never changes, your brain just tunes it out. It becomes background noise. I mean, within ten seconds, you know, you're back into the picture. But without this, it's just kind of faded in, into the back. If you don't subtly add on and add on and add on, it's just, I mean. And you're not changing the emotion, or no. you're not changing the emotion at all. You're sticking with one central melodic theme, one same emotion. You're just varying the dynamics and the layers of instrumentation to create some sense of forward movement. This is going yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's gotta, the emotion needs to intensify. Now, if it's a solo piano piece, maybe that means you're starting out real soft. I mean, this is the way that I would approach it, is if it was a solo piano, I would start off light moment, 
set the you know you've got the harmony the harmony is telling the story at that point more than anything mm. and then you just gradually added more motion and gradually add more motion and then maybe you know maybe there's a stop and a tail or something but the, no matter what it is whatever the emotion is it has to keep increasing if it stays at one level i mean that's what i've got a visual aid while we're waiting for paul to come back here i'm My, my back comes the studio. <laughs> I'm doing <laughs> my, this for a reason. Problem. I want to pull out a visual aid. So anyway, so th that's the thing. The, emo the emotion has to keep on growing because if you keep it one level, the tuner, I, I mean, the viewer will just tune it out and that's it. I actually um, created a chart. Uh, I was demonstrating this to somebody the other day and sure. where's the, here's the beginning so sure. there's the beginning couple sure. or a few instruments four bars later it builds up four bars later it gets bigger then maybe it drops down for four bars and it comes back bigger then you go into maybe a b section which might just be the same three chords but played in reverse order or something it's kind of like a sure. bridge then it comes out of there and it gets bigger maybe drops whoops <laughs> i can't do this in reverse Maybe drops down again, gets bigger. Oh, no, I'm going backwards. In any case, it keeps getting bigger. There we go. It comes out of the, the B section, like the bridge, and then builds up, builds up, builds up. And if it ends on a period, like there's the end, that's a buttoned ending. If it ends on an exclamation point, that's a stinger. So sure. now, now they know everything they need to know about what a developmental arc is. It can't just lay there like a lox. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. I mean, and the way that I talk about trailers sometimes is that I call them, or, or attention cues are the same kind of thing. I call it a carrot cue. And the, the reason I call it a carrot cue is because of what the waveform looks like. It's starting <laughs> up here and it just gets a little bit bigger. You know, a trailer is like three fat carrots. Is, is, is that your own terminology? Because I love it. I've never heard that before. Um, I actually got that from a guy that I met um, Oh, and actually, this is something I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this about the, the networking thing a little bit too, just as a, as an aside. But it's I used um, there's a group in LA. If you're ever in LA, um, and it's called the Academy of Scoring Arts, and it's a thing that Ron Jones started. You know, the guy that wrote all the music for Family Guy and a bunch of stuff. And uh, it was basically like a score study group, and they get together and they look at scores and they talk about music and they talk about you know creating drama. You know, they have guest speakers like, you know, composers, you know, orchestrators, whatever. You know, I've interviewed, I've interviewed Jason Graves for them. I've interviewed Inan Zur for them. You know, and it's basically, a, a, but it's really a great meeting place for composers to get together and to meet and to network. Um, Academy of Scoring Arts, um, they're doing, gosh, I don't know. They'll like supply you with this decor. Like, here's the scene from Ghostbusters and we're going to take it apart and figure out why this works, why it doesn't work. And they talk about everything. Here's how the harmonies work. Here's how the mel melodies work. Here's how the arc works. And it's just, um, it's a great community for finding that out. Another thing, and some of you guys, I mean, everybody knows the basic things like, hey, you have to have a profile on LinkedIn or whatever like that. People need to be able to find you. You know, if somebody, if you meet someone and you don't have a card and who has a card these days, I mean, I guess people still have cards. I don't know. But they've got to be able to find you easily. You know, with a name like Paul Taylor, 
it's not that easy to find me easily unless I tell them something really specific to look for. Um, so make sure they've got a way to find you. Um, like if you look up paultaylor.com, I think he's a real estate agent. I think if you look up Paul Taylor Music, he's a long-haired metal guitar player in Westlake. Um, <laughs> so I say Paul Taylor Conductor, because people know what the word conductor means. And you can find my, I mean, you can type that in right now and I'll be the first thing that's up there on the top of the Google search. So make sure you're available to find that. And the networking thing is a great way to find things. The other things that I advise, um, that I'm, I mean, two communities that I'm part of that I really, are really great and there's tons of stuff like this on Facebook and as much as I hate Facebook and LinkedIn um, I mean I just don't like having a thousand things to check I mean like, yeah. I just want to sit and make music I don't want to deal with it it's a curse of what we do we have to be in contact but if you're gonna be in Facebook be on Facebook with like-minded people um, there's two groups there um, that I as a matter of fact um, Adonis Electra started one of them. Adonis, who is a taxi member. Yeah, you know Adonis. I know Adonis really well. So Adonis started a group called Perspective. Um, and it's for composers. And if you look up composers, if you look up Perspective, you'll find Adonis' group. And it's him, Nicholas Repetto, a couple other guys started this group. Um, and they post like interviews with composers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of information and a lot of talk back and stuff like that. Um, but the great thing about it is every single level of composer is on there. Literally every single level, which is if you're brand new and say, hey, I've got a question that I wanna ask the group, um, can a violin play this? You'll get a lot of guys answering that thing. Yeah. There was, a, there was a post from Chance Thomas, the guy I did Avatar with recently, and one of the conversations happening back and forth was literally with Hans Zimmer. I mean, Hans is on the, on the site responding to people like normal people like us who are not some A-list whatever, but they're just trying to make a living in music. I mean, and there have been people like, I mean, Hans has responded to things like, I really don't know about this career, you know, I've been trying to do this, and that, you know, I'm just looking for extra inspiration, and he's added into stuff like that. So it is a hugely generous group. People that are generous with their time, generous with mentorship, generous with everything, and I would highly, I mean, Adonis has done a great thing. There's probably, I mean, when I joined, I think there's only a few hundred members and there's probably 5,000. I mean, I got to tell you, it's huge. Here's how special Adonis is to me. I think there have only been two times in the 29 years I've owned this company where I had to shut my door to my office and wipe tears from my eyes. And Adonis caused one of those. He was going through some lean years in the early years of being a taxi member. He lives in, in Cyprus, right? Uh, he doesn't live in the U.S. He lives on the Greek mm -hmm. island of Cyprus. Uh -huh. uh, or yeah, Cyprus is not part of Greece. It's next to Greece. It's its own country, I think. Yeah. Anyway, he's on Cyprus. And uh, things were very skinny for him. And he got a, a hookup through taxi that made him a substantial amount of money. I don't think it was like $100,000. But he wrote me an email that said, I just want you to know that our son had outgrown his crib and needed a big boy bed. And we, money was so tight for us as a family because of the Greek economy going in the dumper as well, which affected Cyprus. He said, mm -hmm. we literally couldn't afford a bed for our kid. And because of what you guys do at Taxi, I got a gig that made me enough money that we were able to buy a real bed for our son. And I'll never ever forget you for that. And 
Wow. That's how long I've known him. So I'm so proud of everything. You know, I've read his book. I've promoted his book. He's a sweetheart of a guy. You know what? He he himself is so generous and just a good, good man. It's really reflected in the group. The book that you're talking about is the one that's the, all the composer interviews? Yeah. So this one, just so you guys know, so this is available on Amazon. And I don't, I mean, whatever. We're Maybe it sounds like we're giving Adon a shameless plug. Let me tell you about the book, though. <laughs> yeah. The book is entirely generated from this Facebook group. I mean, it ah. was called, basically what he did with this is it would be like, James Newton Howard answers five questions. And there would be five questions, and a composer would write about it. And it might be about his experience, his career, about music making. And I mean, these guys, these guys are the masters of everything. you know. And that's how we put together this book. Um, generated from that Facebook group. And if you're not a part of it, I would really strongly look at just joining that community because it's amazing. The other thing for the film and TV guys out there, which I assume is anyone who, you know, mostly people who tuned into this, is um, there's a group called Virtual Orchestration. And Virtual Orchestration is great because, again, crazy huge you know, range of experience. I mean, you can say, I'm running digital performer and this thing keeps crashing, can you help me? And like 10 guys will chime in and say, try this, try this, try this. Because everyone is just so generous there and willing to help each other out. Um, and so virtual orchestration is basically about making your MIDI sound real, which is obviously massively important to virtually any orchestral thing we do here. I mean, even though orchestras are so much less expensive than they used to be, where you can get so much for so much less money, we're still pretty much doing it in the box. I mean, every day we're here at the keyboard trying to make something happen. And if you've got two days to do a Scooby-Doo thing, or one day, you know, that's all you have. There's no other option. And virtual orchestration just helps you in every regard, whether it's computer setups, um, sales on samples. The guy that runs it, Ruben Cornell, is always putting out this is on sale, 96% off, grab it today. You know, this is on sale, 75% off, grab it today. And it's just, it's just, it's a great community, it's helpful to everybody, and I would just, I would really recommend There he is, all right, so I wanna hit you with a couple of questions here. We've sure, got sure. 12 minutes left. Uh, sure. This is a two-parter from somebody named Mike Cantwell, who surprisingly okay. was the only guy that actually took the time to email us a question or, or post it on Facebook today. So thank you for yeah. that, Mike. Uh, for taxi listings requesting instrumentals that give examples with vocals, which I, I want to clarify something. The reason that when we run a listing looking for instrumentals, but we give an example of something with vocals, more often than not, they're looking for something contemporary sounding. And so the most contemporary thing out there is a recent uh, hit record that is that kind of music. They, they want sure. something that sounds like whoever the artist is, but without the vocal. Um, sure. There are some libraries now that we have finally talked into. They don't want us to give links back to their um, their catalogs on their website because they know that they're going to get every Tom and Dick and Harry out there emailing them bad music. Yes. Um, some good, obviously, but a lot that won't be. So they don't want us to link back to them. Some of the libraries have now started giving us um, a link to a Dropbox page where the music is unidentified, but it's music from their catalog 
that people can listen to is the refs. That to me is much preferable. So, but this yeah. guy's question goes back to instrumentals uh, that give examples of songs and vocals. What exactly is the best synthesizer sound to use as the melody to replace the vocal? Taxi examples of being Billboard, Hot, Hot 200 genres of pop rock, dance, indie, alternative, etc. Generally, acoustic or electric piano does not work to replace the vocal. Um, Vox, Vox, which is fake male or female vocals, does not work exactly. So I, I, I want to weigh in on that very briefly and then see how you feel about it. But Mike, sure. uh, you don't want to replace the vocal melody because it's going to come out sounding like 101 strings or something, you know, with 101 strings doing a cover of Yesterday by the, the Beatles. Um, what you want to do is what I call melody light. You know, like one out of every four notes, just to keep it moving, but not create a melody that's centrally thematic. Am I in the ballpark with that, Paul, or am I off base with that? Uh, two things. Yes. <laughs> um, that is an approach that could work really great. Um, when you talk about pop rock and stuff like that, you're out of genre for me. Um, so what I will say is a lot of the stuff that I do that's like that is I do a lot of world music stuff. Um, so when it's a world music thing like that, um, or actually in a lot of things like this, when, I, th I think the confusion that a lot of people have is when it says instrumental, and I see this a lot, is they pull out the vocal and just send you the track mm -hmm. with nothing in there, you know? And it sounds like an unfinished record. It's a karaoke track. I mean, yeah. I hate to I hate to use that word because it sounds insulting or offensive, and I really <laughs> don't mean it like that. I mean, I, I mean, I hear really, really, really well produced tracks. I mean, they're great, but it's so clear that the vocal was just pulled out, you know. And if you need to replace that with something, what that would be? Could it be a variety of instruments? It depends on the style, you know. If it's, you know, if it's, you know, country or bluegrass, you know, I think there's some real obvious instruments that might work really well for a lead line. You know, you need to take a look at it as instead of a singer carrying this, um, you know, you've got to, I mean, the same melody won't work either, you know, unless you're doing a Muzak track. And if they, if they ask for Muzak, that's great. We can do it. If they right. want yes, yesterday with an alto sax doing <laughs> Paul McCartney's lead, that's great. The job is to give them what they want. But when it just says flat out instrumental, I love the idea of what Michael said about melody light. Because if you try to do, I mean, number one, the human voice, there is nothing as expressive. It's just impossible. And there's also nothing else that has lyrics. I mean, so we're missing that much of the message. So think of that message you have to give. And if you were going to give a message about a song without being able to tell any of the words on an instrument, how would you do that? The melody line would be completely different. You're not going to have repeated phrases all over the place because you don't have different lyrics that are going to keep it interesting. So you've really got to take a different approach to it. You've got to, I mean, you've got to approach it like a film guy, not a songwriter guy. You know, I mean, those yeah. melody lines just, yeah, you can't repeat the same thing three times. It's just, I mean, it doesn't work. So if you lighten up the melody line, I love what Michael said. It's like take the first and fourth note or something, or just like a couple of notes here and there. Yeah. And then the next phrase, take the second and the seventh note, or you know that kind of thing. Right. If you break it up like that, you're keeping the intent of the song. Um, and whether it's you know whether you you know what's the right instrument for it, that's going to depend on the genre. You know, it could be slide guitar, it could be tenor sax, it could be trumpet, it could be fiddle. 
You know, yeah. I mean, there's a million pots. It could be balalaika. I mean, it, it depends on what you're doing, you know. Um, but uh, just pulling out the melody is never going to do it. It's just not. He's got a part two, which is for taxi sure. listing requesting instruments that give extremely repetitive examples, usually with vocals. How can we break up the melody and music enough to not receive the too repetitive critique? Um, he goes on with more stuff, so I'm going to read it, and we may have to go back and, and slice and sure. dice this. Um, recent taxi listing examples have had only two chords for the entire song with the same chords in the chorus. Another recent taxi example had only one chord in the entire song. With never submitting anything that repetitive, creating A, B, and sometimes C parts with changing melody instruments, with adding and subtracting instruments, as taxi suggest, adding enhanced beats and intricate rhythm patterns, and far more, we still get the dreaded too repetitive. So, uh, and the vocal examples may have only five notes in the entire song. Sometimes notes are slid up two notes on the chorus, sometimes not. Our instrumental melodies have to be more creative to not get too repetitive. What else can we do to not get the dreaded, and he, and he says dreaded like three times, too repetitive thing from the screener? Well, I think this goes sure. back to what we were talking about before, is giving it a developmental arc, and it's in the dynamics and such. So, For sure. Yeah, dynamics is a huge part of that. Breaking up the melody line that you were talking about is, is, is exactly right. Um, <clears throat> as far as pop-oriented stuff with one or two chords in it, like I said, I don't, I mean, that's not something that I, that I scream. I mean, I just don't consider myself nearly good at it. I mean, there are guys at Taxi that just, I mean, there's screeners that are a thousand times better than me at that. I mean, so I don't even touch those. But as far as like the one or two chord thing, it is super common in tension cues. Yeah. You know, like these NCIS things. I mean, it's literally can be, you know, like, I mean, remember that Mr. Robot came up. Mr. Robot yeah. theme came up as a reference at least couple dozen listings probably because it was super hot it was super hot people really liked it and it feels very repetitive oh the other one that came up is uh contagion the cliff yeah. martinez score it sounds super repetitive keep on listening and you'll see these subtle things how we just use this like a sonic modulator or something to mess up the loop yeah um that stuff is hard to do man hard to write hard to make competitive uh you know compelling but he does that with with uh, shows like The Nick, and with uh, and with Contagion. It took really really repetitive things, but that little subtle breakup to give it a sense of forward motion. And a lot of times, it's, again, it's layering so the sonic modulator that he uses on his on his bouncy you know analog loops. It sounds great, and that's all it is. Is it's just you're you're putting an effect on it, and then you're weaving in a couple of effects on the same exact loop. You know, before it finally develops into something else, and it totally works with those scenes. The Mr. Robot theme is the same kind of vibe. It just doesn't really move a lot, but it has that subtle movement that does it. Um, the too repetitive thing, um, I very rarely put that, but I think it's more of a nature of the kind of cues that I screen. And I wish I could be more helpful on this, as far as the other style. Um, and I definitely have checked that box. <laughs> um, but for the stuff we do for tension, a lot of times it's just not too repetitive. You know, yeah. I mean, don't don't kill it. I mean, it's got to move. It's got to have an arc. It's got to change. If I hear 
eight bars exactly the same. I'm, you know, just can't do it. You've got to give you got to give me something, but it can't be super subtle. I, know, I was over this past weekend and the weekend before. I've been researching um, sleep-inducing music, relaxation music. And there's a guy that, that's got a piece that's probably got about three or four instruments in it. Um, it's basically just pads and it's three chords repeated over and over and over uh, for three hours. I'm not sure. kidding. He made a 10 minute, 10 minute piece, then looped it for three hours. Whoops, he'll be back. <laughs> I hope he comes back. There he is. He looped it. I'm for here. Looped it for three hours. Yeah. Uh, and he's had 281 million views on that on YouTube. And so what he's done is he's giving people something, uh, and and you know real musicians would turn their nose up at that. It's like this is boring crap. This is stupid. This is idiotic. I mean, I'm, I'm a piss poor musician. I could have made that piece of music. It's literally just triads of pads going five, four, one, five, four, one at a very slow tempo with the occasional wind or ocean sound. And I mean, very occasional, just kind of blowing through 281 million views. And the answer to why he's got 281 million views is because nobody's looking for the greatest composer, the greatest composition, the best producer. They're looking to go to sleep. And his music yeah. does that. It serves exactly. its job. And that's what our job is ultimately at the end. We have we have a job to do and we have to serve them. And the client, it's like, well, let's talk about Mitch. Mitch, very specific client. Yeah. He knows what he can sell. That yep. listing tells you it's a list of things. You have this, we can sell your cue. Yeah. And that's the gig, man. People, musicians want to believe that the industry is a bunch of big, bad people, you know, some fat, bald-headed guy in front of a wall full of gold records smoking a cigar, that old, uh, you know, stereotype that was out there. It's like, yeah, I'm going to crush another musician's dream. That is the complete opposite. Everybody's yeah. looking for something that will make them money. They want you to have what their clients want. Yeah. That's how they get paid. Sure. Paul, um, this was amazingly good, man. I, I'm first Thanks. of all, I'm honored to have you screening our members' music. You really do know Thanks. what you're talking about. Um, I would love to have you back for a follow-up uh, because I feel like 90 cool. minutes of you wasn't enough. Um, oh. So, oh, I'm full of boring stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not boring at all, man. It's it's I'm been kidding. a lot of fun. Very educational. Yeah. You're you're very. You're super credible. You know what you're talking about, and you're a fan of other musicians. You're trying to enable, not uh, hold oh, them back. Of course. No, we are. I mean, you know, I've grown to hate the phrase "we're all in this together." You know, I liked it much. <laughs> I liked it much better when it was only High School Musical. Um, but the truth is, I mean, we're all here to help each other. I mean, it's it's a simple thing. You know, tearing other people down is just not something that's ever gonna. We all want the, we all want the same thing. We all want a happy life. We all want to, you know, I'm yeah. I'm 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 up for supporting everybody in every way, any way that I can. Well, you thank know, and you. if something I say makes a difference, and I'm I'm super happy. You do it really, really well. Um, I'll you. reach back out to you uh, to set up another date in the relatively near future, so we can kind of bookend all this. Um, 
That's great. Also, I want to get you involved in the road rally this year. That would be awesome. I know you've done the, the live road rallies before, but I would love right. to have you for this one last virtual one. Um, cool. And I want to let everybody know this coming Monday, there will be no Taxi TV because it is our 4th of July holiday, Independence Day. Ah. So we will be out of the office that day. And tomorrow, I'm not doing a quarantine happy hour because my wife is flying back into LAX and I've got to sign papers for a refi on the house and do some grocery shopping. So ah. the boss is taking the day off tomorrow. I gotcha. I will see you guys on Thursday for a quarantine and we'll be back a week from Monday for regular taxi TV. Paul Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, it's great to be here.